2: All right, it's hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We are now closer to Friday than we were on Monday. Welcome you on 101.1 FM, The Answer, or over on Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show or 101.1 FM, The Answer, uh, live uh, pages on Facebook. So we're glad to have you along with us. Whether you're looking in or you're just listening in, whichever you're doing, I think we've got a pretty good show for you today. Uh, just to let you know that uh, Congressman Hill will be in studio next hour, and we're going to talk to him, and of course, we'll talk about the shootings and things of that nature. want to talk to him about what he makes of the China and U.S. Uh, uh, fighting over tariffs and uh, for the... Uh, Chinese limiting their uh, currency fall that they're doing as they devalue their currency. So we'll talk about those with him. We've got Joe and Duck on today. I got State Senator Kim Hammer calling in in the last hour. And I told him specifically I wanted to talk to him about the story on uh, the uh, local page today at the Arkansas Dim Gas. And uh, you may have seen this for you who are uh, watching. I'm going to hold up the paper and read that headline. It says, Governor Urges Hate Crime Law. Let me read that again. Governor Urges Hate Crime Law. And in the, the secondary headline, Red Flag Proposal Also on Hutchinson's Mind After Shootings. Now, I read that whole article and... And Mike Jones covered this from uh, Northwest Arkansas. Evidently, he works up there for the paper. And at the very end of page 2B, uh, there is a, uh, a small uh, quote to Hutchinson, which makes me wonder if when he wrote this article... He held this because, to me, it sounds like Hutchinson has not changed his mind on this. Why he brought it up, I don't know if he brought it up. Somebody asked him a question about it. But let me read the last thing that he said. Hutchinson, who previously uh, previously said he had concerns about due process, in regard to a red flag bill said Tuesday that he hasn't seen any plan yet that he could back. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Russ, but that sounds exactly like what the governor said all through the general session. Is that am, am I wrong on that? You remember, I mean, several times uh, we asked Jr. about this. I've, I even had the governor on uh, a couple of times and asked him about this. And he said he was always concerned about due process and that he had not seen any kind of legislation that he could get behind because the due process wasn't in there. Do you remember Everything that? I
3: remember, yeah, that's correct.
2: All right, so I'm sure that this the person who wrote this story knows that as well. So you, you, I look at this article as, is this nothing more than ginning up clicks? Or if it was still back in the day, selling newspapers. Uh, Hutchins said Arkansas is only, uh, uh, is only one of four states without a hate crime law. And that's another issue altogether. And then you go further into the story. And they start talking about the whole thing about red flags and red flag laws. And I'm looking. Let me get down in. Okay, Hutchinson told the association there will be more discussions about extreme risk protection orders. And you, you heard the president mention those day before yesterday, and I brought that to your attention because when you say red flag law, uh, that's like the every kind of day guy and gal's way uh, of of saying this as extreme risk protection orders. Uh, Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, speaking to the sheriffs group Monday, called for Congress to make it easier for law enforcement agencies and others to present evidence from family members or others to a judge that a person shouldn't have access to firearms. That's walking a razor-sharp edge, as far as I'm concerned, uh, about uh, this whole thing about extreme, uh, these extreme laws that, that to uh, protect people, uh, supposedly, from people who are, quote, Dangerous extreme risk protection orders. Extreme risk laws empower families, household members, or law enforcement officers to temporarily remove a person's access to firearms before the person commits violence, according to the Giffords Law Center, to prevent gun uh, violence. An Arkansas law that would allow that to happen was brought forth uh, by Senator Greg Letting uh, from Fayetteville. And if I'm not mistaken, Will Bond uh, here, Democrat from Little Rock, who has resigned his seat now after he's done. So it's an open seat. Uh, The bill was rejected in the Senate Committee on City, County and Local Affairs. The committee Vote Against Letting's Measure, Senate Bill 621, we talked about it extensively uh, during the uh, session, was along party lines, according to records of the vote, with Republicans against it, Democrats for it. Here is what I am concerned about. It says, let me go through this one more time, to make, this is the main... And, even Cotton says this, to make it easier for law enforcement agencies and others to present evidence from family members or others to a judge that a person shouldn't have access to firearms. Now, now does the person who they're looking to take the firearms from, uh, is is he going to be there when this is decided, which I think should be the way it is, if you're going to follow due process, you know extreme risk laws empower families. Let's listen to the let's listen to this uh, 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 definition again. Extreme risk laws empower families, household members, or law enforcement officers to temporarily remove a person's access to firearms. Before the person commits violence. So here's the question. Is the person going to commit violence? I mean, if the person says, you know what? Go out and shoot that place up. Is that enough to remove a person's firearms? I mean, have you ever said somebody ought to shoot that person? You know. It's just a colloquialism. Uh, that you might say something like that. But would that be considered enough to remove guns from somebody without them being able to show any kind uh, or have any kind of ability to uh, stand up and and answer for what they've done? And see, it's a whole due process thing that, bothers me. Um, I think the person who's, you know, being said is dangerous should have to appear before the judge as well and to answer about this. I mean, I've, look, I've known families that didn't like certain members of their families. And I can tell you now, talking to people, there's, some things you don't talk about over the dinner table with certain members of your family because they have totally different uh, political uh, beliefs than you, and uh, go off the you know off the the edge or over the edge uh, with you, and you end up in big arguments. Can that person raise enough of a stink that? They could have your weapons taken because, let's say, you believe and you stand with the president and they don't. And so they report to the police that uh, they think that, you know, there's some things to be considered here and that they think that you're unstable. Is that enough to remove your guns from you? Uh, It's. This is my why I'm worried about what I'm hearing uh, about this as I listen to the politicians talk about this. They're uh, talking about hate crime. You know, let me just tell you, Texas has a hate crime law. They've had for a long, long time. They, they passed hate crime legislation, if I remember correctly, uh, back, was it in the 90s? uh Rust, that they they killed the uh, black guy there in Texas and by dragging him behind the pickup truck it seems like it was uh then yeah i think that was in kind of the m- late middle to late 90s and that's when texas passed hate crime legislation have they had any more murders because of people who do not like people of color or uh, a certain religion or anything? Probably so. I would say yes. And if that's the case, the hate crime legislation did nothing. I I mean, I really believe hate crime uh, legislation is nothing more than to try to make people feel like they're doing something. And you and and literally you're doing nothing. It, it's my belief, and you know, if if you think I'm wrong, you can call in today eight two three zero nine six five. Tell me that I'm wrong, but seems like that if you go out and kill somebody, you're telling them you hate them. You have no, you have no, uh, you know. Uh, respect for their life at all. And uh, you're going to take it. So why do you have to pass a law or write a law that says that a person who uh, should have some kind of enhanced punishment for uh, doing something to somebody because, well, let's, let's go through the litany, Because they're black, because they're brown, because they're Asian, because they're gay, because they're transgender, blah, 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 and even white. Black person might kill a white person because they don't like white people, you know, that whole, you know, you have, you're a white supremacist, Dave, because you're just a white guy, so that proves you're a white supremacist. Bottom line, uh seems to me you don't you can take all that crap out of it and no matter if you were thinking you're going to kill them or you're going to hurt them you're going to beat them or whatever uh, because of their color or ethnicity or their religion or whatever why don't we just get rid of all that religion and and color and all that doesn't matter why they did it they did it they did it to another human being. And the, the charge should be the same no matter what. I just don't understand why you say that we're going to enhance the crime because the person was a Jew or the person was gay or the woman was a lesbian or the guy was somebody who wanted to be a, a woman or whatever. Look. Look. The person hurt the person. The person attacked another person. That's good enough for me. I mean, that's 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 enough for me. Did you say, R.J. R.J. and Benton wants to talk to us. Hey, R.J., how are you?
4: Uh, I'm doing all right, uh, Dave. Nobody wants to admit to these hate crime laws. Uh, they're the same as affirmative action. They are just uh, they're. They're making white people illegal because no blacks or browns or anybody ever gets charged with a hate crime. Prime example is that uh, mental boy up in Chicago. This 19-year-old was just shooting out there in Dayton, Ohio, randomly shooting, saying, I want to kill white people because they're in my hood. There was a guy that just got convicted of killing six white people because he wanted to kill all white people. Not one of them was ever charged with a hate crime. This is anti-white legislation is what it is, and I don't understand why white people cannot see this and you say oh it's not about race oh but it is the black people will vote for a black candidate over a, a white one any day regardless if they their politics or agree with them or not i mean this is what this is this is anti-white legislation they want to take our guns and make us defenseless they, they've hyped up all this hatred towards white people in the president and that's it, what it is dave and we got to look at it realistically we got to come to the conclusions that they're going to call you a Nazi. They're going to call you a racist. It doesn't matter. Might as well embrace it and say, you know what, that's fine. I'm going to stick up for my people. You go do whatever you want to do. And that's what it is. It's just hate. white hatred. There's over 24,000 articles in different newspapers and magazines like BuzzFeed to uh, – time magazine talking about white genocide uh, the castration of white men we need to get rid of white people in uh, white supremacy because speaking english that's white supremacy drinking milk is white supremacy do, do you not see who's being targeted here
2: well i i'm going to disagree with you i don't think that we're being targeted uh with the legislation here's what i'm trying to say doesn't matter what color you are if somebody beats you down the law, the 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 result of the beatdown should be the same whether you're white, brown, black, or yellow. I guess I should put red in there too. Does that cover everybody, Russ? That way, you know, it's it's sending the message: it doesn't matter what color you are. Yeah, doesn't matter what color you are. You should not be beat down by anybody. I just think that hate crime legislation is nothing more than a bunch of useless words. All right, got to get a break in. Let's do that. It's 24 minutes after 2. The phone lines are open, 823 I do think that you need to be careful saying that this is legislation that is just being directed towards white people. I don't buy that. I don't feel that way. I just think it's politicians being politicians, and I'll, uh, I'll expand on that when I come back. All right, we got just about a minute and a half left. Let me just say some of this, the hate crime legislation uh, that I'm talking about, the uh, you know, enhanced risk, some of that uh, as well, uh, is just politicians doing what politicians do. They're, they're trying to make everybody feel like something's being done, and they're the ones that are doing it so that they can depend on, quote, your vote coming next election. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to quote something that the governor said yesterday. There should be enhanced penalties under the hate crime law for people who commit crimes based on religion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Okay. See, I disagree with that. You're, you're setting up people, certain people over other people, with this particular piece of legislation. It, look, it doesn't matter to me what religion the person is, the race the person is, the, uh, their, their, where they're from their sexual orientation, or their gender identity. If they're a person, and that's what we're talking about here, people, then the bottom line is they all should face the same punishment. So here, again, is why I find this whole hate crime legislation ridiculous. Let me let me run through what the governor said. Quote, there should be enhanced penalties under the hate crime law, for people who commit crimes based on religion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. People should not be targeted because of who they are, he told reporters after he spoke to the Sheriff's Association. Hutchinson said he would like to get hate crime uh, bills before the legislature as soon as possible, But he said the timetable hasn't been determined. Now, that's directly out of today's newspaper on uh, Section B. And again, I go back to say, why do we need that? I mean, look, you could be anybody who robs somebody or beats somebody or shoots somebody or kills somebody. There is something about that body that the person, the perpetrator, didn't like. Didn't like. So instead of saying, "If you're this color or that, uh, from some, you're, or you're from somewhere specific uh, in the world, or uh, you know, you like men instead of women, or you like..." Uh, you, you don't know whether you're like a man or a woman because you can't figure out if you're a man or a woman then so what? So what? maybe maybe it's a robber, okay? And he just wants your money. He doesn't like you because he thinks you've got more money than uh, he does. So he's going to do harm to you to get your money. Or maybe he heard you say something. He didn't like what you said. So he picks a fight and he he beats you down. Maybe you've got a MAGA hat on. I'm just saying people have, you know, millions of different reasons for what perpetuates them. Uh, what drives them to commit a crime. It doesn't matter. The crime matters. That's what matters because it happened against another human being. I don't think people realize that when you start saying, well, it's more important to see it, it makes more. It's worse if it's. You know, a white guy doing it to a black guy, or a black guy doing it to a, you know, a Puerto Rican guy. Look, I'll just take it from where I grew up at. Now, where I grew up at, there was racism. There, were whites didn't like blacks all that much. Of course, it wasn't out in the front; it was kept under, under the, under the, the ground. Blacks didn't like uh, the whole thing about uh, uh, Puerto Ricans. They had a thing going on. You go out to L.A. and do you remember the riots out in L.A. after Rodney King? Where were the where did the blacks go uh, to uh, to riot in many cases besides their own neighborhoods? The Korean neighborhood. They were going in and breaking into the Korean stores and taking the Korean stuff. And the Koreans ended up standing on the top of their stores with guns now, here's the key. If one of those Korean folks had just pulled back, the, you know, pulled up their rifle and shot a black person dead, and they were found guilty of murder, it'd been because they killed a the person, a person. They ended someone's life, someone's. It doesn't matter what color they were, it doesn't matter that they. Did they come from this part of the world or that part of the world? Doesn't matter. Did they go home to a a, a wife or to a partner? It didn't matter. You you, know, you understand what I'm saying? I could go on and on with this. This type of logic divides us. At least it seems to me it divides us because what the governor is saying is that it's more. It means more if it's done because of religion or done because of race or ethnicity or sexual orientation or gender identity. No, it doesn't. That means nothing. They were a person, period, a person, a live human being that uh, has all the rights granted by the Constitution in our country. I mean, look, if you're gay, you got the exact same rights that I do. If you're Jewish, you got the same rights that I have under the Constitution. If you're, uh, you know, under the Constitution of the United States of America, period. So somebody does harm to you, they're doing harm to a person don't matter what color or creed or whatever they are. And I'll leave it at that. It is this this type of legislation as far as I'm concerned, maybe it's different for it may be different for you uh, that's watching on Facebook live or for you who's listening here just on 101 uh, FM uh, the answer. Maybe that does mean something different to you. It doesn't to me. A person is a person. They bleed red. Many of them have families just like I do. Some people don't. But they have lives. They have all the things of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Goodness. Just think that uh, it's a it's a big waste of of time, effort, big big waste. All right, Dave Ellswick show. Uh, we continue on here on the uh, the show talking about this story about the governor urges hate crime laws and the whole the whole red flag thing, folks. Let's not go there. I'm just telling you, you're going to open up a Pandora's box that you do not want to open the object is to make our country safer not to see how much of the constitution we can destroy and that's what i'm seeing here i'm seeing i'm i'm hearing the things that you always hear when something terrible happens oh man we've got to, we got to do something about it and the politicians the worst about this in many cases because they say I got to get out in front of the cameras and say that I'm doing something. They feel that they have to do that. Many of them do. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying many of them do. You know, I'll I'll be honest. You know what, Russ, I would really wish the president would do something that Congressman Hill asked uh, for him to do a couple days ago. In fact, I'll talk to the uh, congressman when he's on with us uh, in the next hour and that he wanted the, the president to call for a day of prayer and fasting, like Lincoln did and Washington did and some other presidents have done uh, in the past. Now, I think that is a smart thing to do. It is a time for the majority of us to to sit down and to look inside of ourselves, and to uh, to bow our uh, our our heads and our knee in front of our Creator and ask for His help. Woo. I've already stepped on some people's. That doesn't do anything. Yes, yeah, see, just a religious zealot, Dave. That's all you are. I don't do anything right. I'll just tell you this kind of stuff. The kind of killings that we're seeing right now didn't go on when this country looked up to uh, God. They didn't. Uh, we didn't have these kinds of uh, of mass murders. Not saying that we didn't have any. We did. But I'm also saying that we didn't have as many of them. We've come uh, we've come completely uh, detached and in many cases uh, a hatred of anything that reeks of Christianity. And of a belief in a higher power. Leave that out of it. Delswick. Leave that. Out. I don't want to hear about it. You Might want to figure out Why? You're so adamant about not wanting to hear about it. You know, Bible says that the laws of of God and God himself are written on the flesh of your heart. In other words, it's part of you. You know it's part of you. You know deep inside he's there. And you continue to rebel against him. All right, a break. Got to get the break in. Final break of this hour. I'll return. We'll continue here on the Dave Ellswick show. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick show. Last few moments here of this hour. Coming up, uh, Congressman Hill will join us here in studio. We'll be talking to him. Uh, don't be forgetting about what happened in Gilroy, California, uh, at that garlic festival. A uh, story today talking about that, that the FBI has opened a domestic terrorism investigation into the mass shooting at the California Festival after it discovered a, and I quote them, target list uh, compiled by the gunman whose relatives apologized Tuesday and said they were horrified by his actions. The FBI disclosure came during a fur- funeral mass for uh, Keila Salazar, a 13-year-old middle schooler who was one of three people killed July 28th by gunman Santino William Legan during the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Uh, The two others slain were uh, Stephen Romero, six, and Trevor Irby, 25. Thirteen others were injured. Uh, It was the first of three mass shootings within a week that killed 34 people, In uh, California, Ohio, and Texas, the attacks have prompted widespread calls for changes to gun laws and heightened mental health care. The FBI has opened domestic terrorism cases in two of the attacks. Uh, They cited this 19-year-old's list of targets that included religious institutions, courthouses, federal buildings, and both major political parties in the U.S. Okay, so I guess... Uh, hate crime legislation then in California uh, means that they got to raise this guy from the dead and kill him again. All right, because uh, there's no doubt he hated some people. Sounds like he hated just about everybody to me. So Authorities say the gunman in Texas posted a racist uh, anti Hispanic screed online. The FBI has not said. If it is considering the Ohio case to be domestic terrorism, that has changed since the writing of the uh, article, even though the shooter previously expressed a desire to commit a mass shooting. Here's the key. This whole thing about hate crime legislation drives me mad. It really does. It drives me wild. How about we just, we just have, you know, we treat people who kill other people the same because they killed other people? Doesn't matter what color they were, what religion they were, what political party they were, uh, if they were young people, whether they were senior people or whatever, they were people. It was people who got killed. Somehow, it's supposed to, I guess, make us see. This is a case of, of, of. This is as much of going into our our uh, psyches as anything else. This makes us like we feel like we're doing something, when to be to be honest, we're doing nothing. We're not doing anything. I. Anyway, this California shooter had a list. So what? He wanted to kill people. Okay, he killed some people. That's what I'm saying. He killed some people. Simply being a member of showing support for a white supremacist organization, they're saying is not unlawful. That's true. It's called the First Amendment. Got to be able to have the First Amendment. You have to be careful. The worst time to make, quote, new laws, as though laws solve anything, is immediately after a very emotional time, because typically you rush into it, you don't think about it, you knee-jerk it, you genuflect, and you do it, and then you have to go back and change it after you've done it. Robert Steinbach has made his way in the studio. Robert, how are you? Good, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm belaboring the point, I guess, but it's still important, I think, for us to keep saying Hate crime legislation does nothing. It does nothing. Legislation uh, passing a law that says you can't kill somebody else. Okay, I'm all about that. But I don't think you got to say, hey, if we catch you, we're going to treat you even worse if it was a black person, a yellow person or a brown person. Uh, if they happen to be Jewish, we'll treat you worse. If they happen to be a Mennonite, we'll treat you worse. Uh, if you, if the person was from Greece, we're gonna we're gonna punish you worse. To me, that's ridiculous. It seems like if you commit a crime against another human being, the punishment should be the same.
5: This goes back to the point that ed monk raised with you the other day which is most of these people don't expect to come out of these things even alive i'm talking about the perpetrators of course and so even when we talked about making the making capital punishment across the board for any mass shooting which i didn't object to as i told you no it doesn't seem like it's going to have much of a difference because the people aren't Not for the
2: people who are going to kill themselves while they're doing it or know they're going to get killed while they're committing the crime.
5: Uh, But I have no objection to increasing it to the death penalty. There is some concern, as you aptly describe, regarding this notion of hate crimes, which is if you do something heinous for one bad motive, it's a different punishment than if you do it for another bad motive. So... I I don't know. I think it should all be. If you go commit one of these mass murders, it should be the death penalty, as we discussed. What are they looking to do by characterizing it as a hate crime? Make it more than the death penalty? Right? You can't. So my point is, I'm not going to sit here and cry about creating another category for mass murderers uh, if these generally leftists think that it's, a better way to get to the bad guys. I don't think it's going to make any difference. So why do it all do the death penalty with the hate crime and anything else you can stack on top of it. Because first of all, most of the perpetrators don't come out, come out of it alive. And when they do, there's virtually no ambiguity that they are indeed the perpetrators. So any of these civil rights, and uh, civil procedure concerns in terms of the death penalty, et cetera, go by the wayside.
2: All right. Congressman Hill is up next. He'll be in the studio with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay tuned. He's up in just a moment. All right. Second hour. The congressman should be here any moment. That would be uh, Congressman French Hill. He will join us this uh, hour the talk to us. We're going to talk about the, uh, recent shootings that have occurred, in California, Texas, and Ohio. Talk about, uh, the opportunity zone round table. They had, uh, Robert Knight alluded to it earlier this week, uh, with, uh, mayor Scott didn't know that the Congressman had been there. See what he has to say. Uh, also want to talk to him uh, with his background as far as banking goes and finance about what china is doing on devaluing uh their their money uh over in china trying to make it uh, buy more uh, and trying to make the dollar stronger which makes you know it causes problems when that happens and then uh, he wanted to remind you today is the last day to register for the Arkansas disaster assistance. So we'll talk to him about that as well. While we got a moment here, Robert, before he gets here, let's yeah. Here is something that we, we mentioned just at the end of the last hour story today in the Demgas on page three, a president, Donald Trump calling for new death penalty legislation as an answer to hate crimes and mass killings. Uh, but whether that would deter shooters is questionable, experts said. This is by Colleen Long. Again, that, that, that phrase, hate crimes. Any crime that beats down somebody or kills somebody or injures, it's a hate crime. I'm sorry. I just don't see how you can differentiate. More than half the perpetrators of mass shootings since 2006 have ended up dead at the scene of their crimes, either killed by others or dying by suicide, according to the database. Death penalty scholars and psychologists say killers motivated by ideology are unlikely to be deterred by punishment. Most of them are willing to die or understand the risk and prepare for it. Some want the fame that an execution could potentially draw to their cause. Quote, in fact, In the case of terrorism, it might be worse than that because you have the very real possibility of creating a martyr, said Gary LaFree, head of the Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Maryland, co-founder of the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism. Trump's remarks Monday on the death penalty followed weekend attacks that together killed 31 people in Dayton, Ohio, El Paso, Texas. The uh, shooting suspect in El Paso believed to have posted a racist anti-immigrant screed on the internet before the shooting. The motive in Dayton remains unknown. Trump said he was ordering the Justice Department to propose legislation ensuring that, quote, those who commit hate crimes and mass murders face the death penalty and that this capital punishment be delivered quickly, decisively, and without years of needless delay. So there we got both sides of that issue, though, sitting out there. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? I think it's, you know.
5: Look, I think as we discussed before the break, I think there's a the question is whether or not we think it's going to have a dramatic effect or any effect. And what's the cost of doing it, even if it doesn't have a dramatic effect or any effect? Now, of course, all these politicos want to get around to do something so they can say, you see, I did something.
2: I did something. I I, I did something. I made that statement. A lot of this is politicians wanting to say, I'm doing
5: something. I'm doing something. And that's, of course, generally the problem when the politicians start talking about making changes to gun laws that have nothing to do with the mass shootings. Of course, there's roughly 40,000 gun deaths a year. It seems high. It is high. Something like 30,000 are suicides. That those are tragic, but in a different way, meaning good long, law-abiding citizens shouldn't be deprived of their gun rights because someone decides to kill himself. And those people likely, if they're don't have a gun would find another way to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is somewhat different than when you say, for example, that, well, if we took away all guns from existence, you wouldn't have as many deaths, uh, as many murders, I should say, as many murders, because it's harder to kill somebody with a knife or a car or whatever. So, but that's not what we're talking about here. If someone can't commit suicide by gun they can commit suicide by pills, suicide by by cutting themselves, you know bleeding themselves. So those are tragedies and those are something that we should try to deal with as a public health issue, but not relative to the guns. out of the remaining 10,000 deaths or so that are not suicides, only an extremely timely fraction, are from rifles. The vast majority are from handguns. Again, I'm not saying we should do away with handguns, needless to say. I'm a supporter of the notion that individuals have the right, as the Supreme Court has now confirmed, to bear arms. And the most reasonable way to bear arms is to bear a, a pistol. So, but the, the hysteria that surrounds certain long guns what they call, as you know, what they sometimes call assault weapons. Now they've changed it. Weapons of war. Weapons of war. Uh, And then the third term is military style because each each one of those terms is is virtually meaningless. And they keep saying, no, they're not. Look, this is the gun I'm talking about. Okay. I like, you can obviously give me a list of a name of 10, 20, whatever number of guns that are out there. And then I know what gun that is. And you can ban that gun. Now it doesn't matter of law, I'm saying, but... Conceptually, you could say, I want to ban these 20 guns. But, of course, when we had the assault weapon ban previously, they not only banned a specific list of guns, they banned those guns with the attributes that they claimed made them assault weapons, or in today's parlance, weapons of war, military-style weapons. That's all the same category. And so you might say, oh, and that was good because there was no AR-15, they would say. And there was another gun, for anybody who's familiar with them, called the Colt Match Point. If you put them up on a screen on Facebook or on television, you couldn't tell the difference. Nope, they're, they're identical looking, because it's just the appearance. So, so many of these actions are feel-good actions that have no substance. The irony is, I once wrote an article. I was on the fence, I will tell you, Dave this is years ago, on whether we should limit the size of magazines. Okay. And I had supported the notion at one time, I no longer do, uh, but I think – it's okay I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest otherwise I just think it's wrong uh, but I but I once supported the notion we should limit magazine size and here was the thinking it was consistent with what most of the lefties say about that well the bad guy has got to change his magazine from some, at some point and that's an opportunity to take him down and mind you since I originally come from New York specifically Long Island New York there was a well-known shooting on a train and when the guy was changing magazines that's when the people on the train tackled him so that one event over influenced me in fact in any event there is some there there's no doubt it's accurate to say that when someone changes a magazine there's at least a moment that gives a greater opportunity to take him down now we have to do the balancing because life is about balancing well no why nobody needs that yeah but you know what if i want to carry a weapon. For my self-defense, or you want to carry a weapon for your self-defense, you might want to carry more than the limit that had been imposed under most of these laws, which is 10 bullets. It's really not a lot of bullets, even though it may sound to some people less experienced with guns as being a high amount of bullets. But it's not. And so here's the dilemma. The bad guy's got to change his magazine, but so does the good guy. And the odds are, frankly, that the good guy more likely to be compliant with the law while the bad guy has been able to find a magazine from from years past that has a larger capacity. So now you're creating a disadvantage on behalf of the good guy relative to the bad guy. So I in balancing those costs and benefits, I now no longer subscribe to the limitation on the magazines. But with that said, it changes with the numbers. So I heard someone say, well, we should ban the 100-round drum magazine, which, by the way, most people wouldn't carry because they're notorious for failure. Yeah, uh, they but jam. That, right. Um, and so if that was part of the discussion, so be it. Again, uh, I, I don't think it would have much of an effect. Uh, I don't recall how many bullets the guy that had the drum magazine shot. But as you know, the standard magazine carries 30. So if it was less than 30, then there would be no difference. And if you wanted to reduce that like the assault weapon had once done to 10, uh, I fear, I'm concerned. It's, I think it's a problem that the good guy is also reduced in the number of bullets. So all of this is to say so many of these actions, the the, the assault weapon ban has no effect. Um, they, they talk about this uh, Clearly, it has no effect on overall crime. There are mixed studies relative to the very few number of mass shootings that we've had, as tragic as they are. So there may be some indication that there's a slight in, slight reduction in the number of people killed per mass shooting if the uh, person is not using a, a large-capacity magazine but there's not a lot of data on it, so it's, it's – that's a really – and it's just a – it's, not a, it's a not a big difference what little evidence may be in support. And true, every life is – if you can save one life, you save the world, they say. So I'm not discounting that, but I'm saying the evidence is quite limited on that fact. And again, I'm concerned about the ability of good people to defend themselves. So that that's what we need to be aware of with all of these proposals. Now, with all that said, so if you make a proposal that would not have had any effect on the two most recent shootings, maybe any of those shootings, but they're nonetheless decent suggestions, then so be it. But I want us to be realistic about what we're talking uh, because I think at this point a lot of these proposals are not going to address the concern or, or the events that actually occurred.
2: No, it's a, and basically this is, when you have something like this and people are emotionally wrought up, the people who are trying to cause massive change feel they have the best opportunity because at that point, people are thinking emotionally and not logically. And that's an important Distinction, and we can talk about that when we come back. Got to get a break in. Yeah, we're looking at uh, twenty minutes after three. Uh, the congressman will be with us by the bottom of the hour here on the Dave ellswick Show. Don't forget about Agent uh, uh, Dwayne Smith. He's a agent of Allstate Insurance, not the FBI or the CIA. He's with Allstate Insurance. He got his own insurance agency. At 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood, want you to know they'll sit down with you, go over your home insurance policy that you have, car insurance policy, life insurance, your uh, motorcycle, whatever insurance policies you have. Dwayne Smith and his professionals are looking to talk to you uh, about how they can save you money and get you better coverage. All you need to do is call them, 501 Eight one nine zero three seven three. That's five zero one eight one nine zero three seven three. The Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. All right, we're back uh, in the studio. With me is of course Robert Steinbach. We're waiting for Congressman French Hill to get here. He's going to join us in the studio, and we're going to talk to him. As I told you, we'll talk to him about the shootings. We'll talk to him about the roundtable uh, that Mayor uh, Scott and other. Uh, city leaders were at talking about how to, I guess, is resurrect too strong of a word. No, the the infrastructure and what? and in uh, and Little Rock, and uh, of course uh, he wants everybody to realize that if you need it, uh, any kind of coverage uh, with the uh, the flood that uh, has ravaged our area that today is the last day to register for the Arkansas disaster assistance and I think that's through FEMA and uh, we'll talk to them about that you sent me a story let me pick it up here real quickly from yesterday and I'm looking for it quickly so we I can bring this it was kind of interesting what you what you sent me and I don't see it, it must be over uh, my text you send it as a text and um oh, this
5: was it. uh an an article about from a former i think recently former dean at the yale law School
2: yes, American exceptional yeah,
5: and um pull that up while we 're at it, it's, it and it. then there's the, it 's the middle one it 's the second article down or you know there 's like two there're different excerpts. And I'll give you a brief synopsis. This dean admits, he says, look, the idea of having a diverse student body is that you can have different, uh, different thoughts expressed. So you can have a debate, right? If everybody comes in indoctrinated in one concept, one way of looking at things, then nobody learns from anybody else because everybody knows the same thing. You want people with different viewpoints. And he said the diversity that we, as a higher education system across this country, employ is not that. The system that we employ today is based on skin color, uh, your gay or transgender status, your male or female status. And he says that's not what's inside your head. And in fact... If you are saying that it is, you, those schools, meaning all schools essentially, that base admissions in part on these physical factors, for lack of a better word, meaning not viewpoint factors, that's a more accurate way of saying it, then you're assuming that the white guy thinks one way, The black guy thinks another way. The Hispanic guy thinks another way. Then another whole set of categories for each of those races and every other one for female, for transgender, uh, and, and any other intersectional combination. But, of course, we know that's not true. If you're white, you're not a conservative or a liberal necessarily. You can be either or Neither. If you're black, you're not a conservative or a liberal, necessarily. You can be either or neither, etc. So if we're admitting people so that we have a plurality of thinking, don't look at how they look. Right. Address how they think. But we don't do that. We do the opposite. And it's stereotyping, no less, right? Oh, well, uh, such-and-such is going to think this way, and and such-and-such is going to think that way. No! No! You know, this is not Noah's Ark, where we need two of of every animal. No! We need a whole variety of viewpoints, not different appearances. Now, needless to say, you'll get a lot of different appearances, but you may not get the exact same proportion that exists in society, because it's ridiculous to assume you would.
2: Now, here's interesting. The guy wrote in in the comments. Whoa there, partner. Man, is this guy going to get pounded? Frankly, sounds like he's saying what needs to be said. Elite means the best. By definition, the best is not inclusive. We're talking about the fat tail on the right-hand side of the bell Curve,
5: And that's a fancy way of saying the best doctors, lawyers, students are a very small group. All
2: right. We'll talk more about this when we return. Dave Elswick Show News is next. All right. Back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, if you're watching on Facebook, that's Congressman French Hill. You know him. You've seen him a lot of times on my show. A lot of you have heard him. You're going to hear him in just a moment. I wanted to tell you, uh, Congressman, that I was uh, I was proud of you the other day when you put out that uh, press release about about asking the president call for a day of prayer. We don't do that enough anymore.
6: No, in fact, I think we denigrate it. I think we intimidate people to not call for it. And I think our... As I said in my statement out on my website at hill.house.gov, I said, you know, our society is in a dark place right
2: now. That's an understatement.
6: And it's, I guess, to those of us of a certain age, I mean, it's really shocking. It's taken people by surprise. And and the attitude people have to their fellow citizens is taking me by Mm -hmm. surprise. You don't, there's no one place to go. But we need to all be advocating for love and care of our fellow citizens and coming together for common sense solutions on tragedies and recognize that um, it's unacceptable to have mass murder in our country. And let's talk about that and talk about some of the rationale for it and how we can come together and encourage it to be ended. Um, Because it's really hurting our civil discourse, I think.
2: You concern that I mean, there's people in your own party that are on the Senate side that now are saying yeah, we need red flag laws. Red flag laws really worry me because the Second Amendment has already been under attack. It worries me that now we're going to put due process under attack.
0: Yeah.
6: In the states
2: where they've attempted
6: to be put in practice um, I think it's a mixed bag because this idea that what's happened in the last 35 years about Supreme Court rulings about you are a danger to yourself or others part of the challenge with mental health and mental health treatment in our country not enough people are getting it it's not sustained if people are receiving mental health treatment they're not getting reported into the background check system, uh, which is a weakness, I would say, in the background check system. And so this idea, if you are a danger to yourself or others, how do you protect your due process, and how do you not have that avalanche on you? And I think that's the biggest challenge in red flag law ideas, and it's why I've suggested If they're to be considered, consider them at the state level where there's more um, common sense, more control, more opportunity for the people to be directly involved and not try to have a one-size-fits-all solution at the federal government level. And how do you really convince lawyers and representatives of people's personal liberties that it's not – going to infringe on their rights. And if you were adjudicated in some way that limited your access for a period of time, how do you ensure through the court system that it comes off if there's a a cure? Or how do you prevent that? And there is a public aspect to it, obviously. So we have a unique country where we protect people's due process rights and privacy rights. It makes anything like this that on the surface appears common sense in a way shouldn't we try to protect people from people who might be dangerous but then it's it's very challenging to write that law i think
2: well i'm always worried that things is going to always get larger and larger once they've been passed i mean who decides who's nuts and who's not yep. i mean i hate to put it that way it's putting it in dave elswick speak i mean look somebody could point at me in another Five or ten years and said, "Dad Ellswick, he's crazy." I mean, five that, or ten minutes. Yeah, that maybe that's true too, Robert. <laughs> Bottom line is, he believes in a guy that supposedly was born of a virgin, was killed, rose again, and uh, lives in heaven. He's nuts. I mean, I'm I'm just being honest. Yeah. Well, this gets into
6: if you read the uh, the rules around. Uh, Mental health adjudication, we have that rule now. You're not supposed to be able to buy a firearm if you've been treated for mental health. And there's a definition, and people can go out and look at ATF's website, because when you've gone in your gun store and you've bought a gun, you've answered all the questions, you're not dishonorably discharged, you're not guilty of a felony, you're not guilty of domestic violence, uh, you're not an illegal immigrant— you haven't been convicted of a crime for more than, with one more than one year sentence. You answer all those questions. You may not pay attention to them mm-hmm. because you're doing a commercial transaction. But I, I encourage people to go out to ATF's website and read the definitions on you know mental health. It's serious, and they're serious. And my concern is that with so much trauma out there, those people are not reported. So that gets circles you back to exactly the question you're raising. And it's a court of law, determines whether or not you're mentally fit, and we don't want that opened up to just questioning everybody. And as you say, debating. Well, what's mental mental fitness? The, mm-hmm. I think the rule is pretty clear now, in the the way the ATF defines it. But it's a challenge. There's no doubt. I mean, it's it's we should debate it and talk about it. I really think so. And because it's a very interesting way to carry into this conversation and talk about public safety and talk about at-risk and the concept, as Steve Scalise said the other day in an interview, that we're so attuned to in an airport, see something, say something. Correct. So many of these instances, over and over again, we have the heartbreak of what? The neighbor who says, oh, yeah, well, I could have told you that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because we respect each other's privacy. But this concept of public safety, see something, say something, is at the heart of where I think people are trying to go there to enhance public safety, worry about their kids. They're worried about their kids.
2: Yeah, and I agree. You yeah. shouldn't be worried about your kids anymore. Yeah. All right. With that said, uh, your thoughts about, you know, what has occurred? I mean, over the a few days, we've had uh, multiple shootings in California, in Texas and now in Ohio as well. Uh, there seems to not be any kind of rhyme nor reason. I mean, people say, "Well, let, we got to harden the targets." Well, out in California, they had metal detectors. This person knew it. They cut their way through the the chain link fence on the backside of the of the festival and came in and, and did their deed. You got a guy who went in and Dayton and shot people and killed his own sister. God's sake! I mean, these are these are sick people.
6: They are, and it's why, and I don't, I don't like in this national debate, Dave, if we're going to demonize this concept of, of mental health, adequate medical health access, keeping people on their medicine, um, this should not be demonized as an, an excuse, because when you look at even the New York Times analysis of mass shootings over the past couple of decades— more than two-thirds have a diagnosed, clearly, mental illness issue there. So then you ask questions. Well, if that person was under treatment in residential treatment or non-residential treatment, would they have still acted in such an anti-societal, manic mm-hmm. manner? We don't know. But if they were in that educated manner and the states really did, contribute that information to the background check system, which is the law today, some of them might not have bought a firearm legally because they really are a sick person. And that definition of a danger to yourself or others is where in 2016 we changed that law in Congress in the 21st Century Cures Act and encouraged states to do two things. Look at HIPAA and how you define HIPAA at your state level and interpret it and how do you define a danger to themselves and others consistent with the Supreme Court so that people's privacy and due process rights are protected but if someone has a pattern and practice of appearing to be a danger to themselves or others and they're not reported, is that right? And I think that's where this debate actually should be and not blow it off and say, no, this is because of the availability of guns in American society. That is not the cause of this kind of manic, sad behavior. Of course, you know, we we have
5: 350 million guns or more in the United States and the number of mass shootings uh, while each and every one is tragic is such a small percentage of that to claim that the guns are the cause really misses the point, right?
6: Well, I I said in my statement, which I thought about for actually, you know, three days on purpose, because I wanted to really consider this. I wanted to hear what President Trump had to say when he was going to speak. I wanted to listen to what Americans were saying to me. And I said, look, addiction our kids' addiction, mental illness of all ages, and they're, they are killing themselves. Our suicide rates, our drug addiction rates, our suicide connected to drug addiction. And when you look at what is the top death by firearm, it's a suicide. And by, so, far. by far. Yeah, yeah, and so I hope this opens a constructive debate and that people stop politicizing this and turning it into just politics and really think about the societal issues that's what i wanted to talk about how do we have a better society how do we all play a role in the antidote to this kind of poison i see on social media and out in conversation and how do we take a breath and think about how to make a safer public environment
2: all right we gotta get a break in let's do that we'll come back congressman french hill from the second district is with us here on the dave ellswick show All right, we've got about eight minutes left here with Congressman French Hill. Congressman, uh, you were here meeting with uh, Mayor Scott, the new mayor of Little Rock and other folks, uh, in a roundtable about helping the city uh, come back to, I guess, former glory would be the way to put it. What are some of the things that you all identified? Well... Um,
6: the new, our new mayor is very ambitious to get Little Rock back in a growth mode again instead of a population loss mode. And one of those areas is how do we get faster economic growth in some of the tougher areas in our city? So uh, the neighborhood around um, UALR, neighborhood mm-hmm. around the airport on the east side, or in central Little Rock along 12th Street, these are in what's called opportunity zones that have been designated by the city and by the state of Arkansas – If you invest in those zones, you can have your whole capital gain uh, reduced over a 10-year period. So you take appreciated value, translate it to invest in that area. You can protect that capital gain over a 10-year period. So it's very attractive. And what's different in this, it was in our tax bill. It's something that's never talked about. We talk about lower rates returning capital home from foreign jurisdictions in President Trump's track tax bill, but this was one of the key features, Opportunity Zones. What I like about it that makes it different than we've ever tried on the supply side issue is it's not just to incent real estate development, single-family housing, or apartments in those areas. It actually gives those tax breaks if you start a small business in that area. You can protect your capital investment, your equipment investment, And the rules that the Treasury Department recently announced that we talked about on Monday I think are reasonable, and I think uh, uh, Frank Scott wants to make that a priority. I want to help him do that. So this event on Monday, we had the White House present. We had Donald Trump sent his chief uh, domestic policy advisor on this topic and his chief advisor on historically black colleges and universities uh, to come participate in this and we have an executive order that encourages investment in these opportunity zones
2: now, that, that's something that has been tried uh, before uh, to give people tax deductions things of that nature what, what, hold, what seems to hold it up what, yeah. is, is it, is it a, some way of convincing people that it's the right thing to do or what well it's a great question my old friend, Jack Kemp. There you go. Uh, I
6: got to work with Jack uh, for two years in the early 90s when he was the secretary of HUD. Mm-hmm. But even going back to his illustrious congressional career in the 70s and early 80s, Jack talked about enterprise zones. His vision was no income tax, Thank no you. capital gains tax, uh, lower regulatory burden to incent people to come to a underperforming, poor county or local area. And it... Some of it was done, and during the Clinton administration, they actually created things called enterprise zones, but it wasn't robust. There wasn't; It was helpful, but not determinative. This is an elimination, uh, basically, of basis for capital gains, and as I say, what I like the most about it is it finally offers it to the business entrepreneur, not just the real estate investor, that rolls a capital gain from a real estate investment into a lower you know, economic area, build some housing units for sale or for rent, and then shelters that gain over that 10-year period. Because you can use it for business and real estate, I think it will be more powerful. And I, I'm sorry Jack Kett didn't live to see it. Paul mm-hmm. Ryan fought for this to be included in the in President Trump's tax bill, and it was. So I'm cautiously optimistic, And but what I argued in the event, My contribution, besides convening it with Frank Scott, was let's change the Arkansas law, the Pulaski County rules, and the City of Little Rock rules to make them more robust. Let's have somebody write a Wall Street Journal article. Hey, you want to invest in an opportunity zone? The best regulatory tax environment in the country is in central Arkansas, because this is a competitive market. There are investors all over the country that are going to invest in opportunity zones, They're going to head to what I call the NFL cities, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, before they come to Little Rock, unless we demonstrate that it's even better for an investor to come here and help us grow our city.
2: All right. Last question for you because we're just about out of time. Front page article today, the gas, China Limits Currencies Fall, a few signs of progress offered in trade dispute with the United States. If there's one person who can talk about this, it's you. What's your take on all of this?
6: We're stalled out,
2: I think, in our negotiations
6: with China right now. She has got the fall party conference coming up. He's got a real mess in Hong Kong.
2: Oh, that's an understatement. This is
6: a of concern to me. Hong Kong is one of my favorite places in the world. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing my old friend from thirty years ago, Martin Lee was the leader in the 1998 time frame forward to for democracy in Hong Kong. I'm going to see Martin in a couple of weeks. I look forward to an on-the-ground sort of report from him. But the Chinese are doubling down now on saying they're not going to import American agricultural products, which is, here we are in our fourth or fifth bad ag year due to weather flooding. So We've got to keep these talks going, and we've got to compel change. I don't know what that magic formula is. I would be doing it differently than our president. You and I have talked about that. My strategy on how to move China on intellectual property, access to the market, is a little different than the president's. But I admire his persistent courage to press it. But we have to reach, you know, a step one accommodation. You, sometimes in trade, I've done it for 30 years, you don't get everything in the first go-around. We're going to have an improved NAFTA, thanks to uh, President Trump, mm-hmm. 25 years after the original document. Much better for the U.S. These things take time. So I would encourage Secretary Mnuchin and the president to press to what's see what can, we, what can we accomplish that's mutually beneficial soon. I think that's good for our economy. I don't want to see this to have... Broader negative connotations on inflation or our economic progress that we've made so
2: positively over the last two years. All right. We're out of time. You hear thank the you. music. I music hear the music starts. That means I got to shut up. I got to shut up. I'd have you for the next hour. Appreciate you. you. But Go thank sell you some so advertising. Much. Thanks, thanks for, congressman. for the time. We'll talk I'll to you thing. later. All right. We're back. Joe and Duck could be here in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Back. Our thanks to the congressman for jumping in and talking with us. Some my thoughts, some uh, pretty good thoughts on his part about a lot of different things uh, that we had uh, the opportunity to talk about today, about the shootings that have occurred, uh, about uh, the uh, way to to do enterprise zones now, Uh, as he talked about Jack Kemp. I remember Jack Kemp uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, going into Caprini Green, and he wanted to take HUD housing and sell it to the people uh in those areas so they had a vested interest in it and they could like you know the and, and here's what happened in Capri Green, which was one of the most deadliest places in Chicago, uh people were buying into the the idea of owning their little cubicle, so to speak, the little apartment, and they were planting flowers outside their their homes is stuff because guess what it was their home they that's it. they were owning it and uh, they were taking care of it but, but, but alas uh, another administration came in and did away with the program that Jack Kemp started and uh, the the story of Caprini Green if you know about it uh, other than it, it did become a horror movie like Candyman that's exactly what it became I mean it got so bad in Caprini Green that ambulances would not go in and get you. You had to bring the person out to where you entered into Caprini Green for the ambulance to load the person because people would shoot at them. It's crazy. just crazy stuff. Joe is here from Joe's Garage. Duck is not. Duck is over at Duck's Garage because his uh, son, Russell, if I'm not mistaken, I know went on vacation with his wife, and I think there were some other people that went with him. And uh, I know where they went, but I'm not going to say where. And uh, they're having a good time this week. Everybody's got to sure get away sometime.
3: Absolutely. I got uh, one of my guys on vacation this week, uh, Joe Crippen. He's off enjoying himself.
2: So. Crippen, he needs to take some time off. Sure. And rest up.
3: Absolutely. Everybody needs that.
2: I mean, uh, Crippen walks around and he puts up almost with as much crap as you do at times.
3: Well, if I'm not there, he's
2: the boss. He's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. Crippen's a good man. He he amazes me. He's like the Energizer Bunny. I don't say he moves like the Energizer Bunny, but he just keeps on going. He's consistent. Yes, he is. He really, really is. So what's happening over at, at Joe's Garage? Anything new? We had an interesting discussion over the weekend with the car and truck doctors about a lot of the new stuff that, is going on with cars, and uh, Ron Fuller was here, and Kenneth was here uh, from down to Dewdrop in Pine Bluff, and uh, I think we all three agreed that right now in the history of cars, we're in one of those huge change periods that hasn't happened since we went to, uh, you know, we changed from carburation and went into fuel injection.
3: Well, that's evolutionary. The first fuel-injected engines don't hold a candle to today's injected engines.
2: Yeah, Well, I agree. Yeah. This, but it was a big change.
3: Yes. It, you go from carbureted to injected, yeah, it's a big change. Now we're going to go from the type of fuel injection we have. We've already seen progress into the turbo era, and uh, some of them are even putting uh, superchargers on them and making four-cylinders, put out three, 350 horsepower. It's incredible. And get 30-something miles to the gallon. That's the, bad, that's the big thing right yeah. there. Because everything is oriented towards fuel economy, everything they do in the automotive industry is oriented towards that, and and I think that you you talk about software and computers and everything today, the speeds are so fast that's what's driven it to hyper speed right there, Dave, is because they can they can look at all the data and it's going to change again. And 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 I think that you're going to see it probably in the next five to ten years, where engines, the way they're designed and built, is completely going to change. Yeah, well, going to be some camshafts we go away. And, yeah. and they're going to be working these uh, instead of having valves, you're going to have solenoids for the intake, solenoids for the exhaust, and and that's going to really change everything as far as the engine, the combustion chamber, how it's designed and
2: built. I mean, Ron and I were talking. I mean, we're fairly close to the same age. Mm-hmm. And just like you and I are fairly close to the same age. And the changes are just coming fast and furious now. I mean, I'm not just talking about how engines are, but mm-hmm. let's talk about start-stop technology. Yeah. I mean, that just came on everybody's radar screen in the last couple of years. And, you know, with the using of, you know, these cars, a hybrids, And now just a regular gas engine, they can do it now.
3: Well, that's because they the the computer the speeds of the computer are so much faster. They can actually stop that engine on a compression stroke and fire it to get that motor to start back up because they know where it's at all the time. Because of the I guess you would see a crank position sensor would have a, I don't know. I think they started off and they had somewhere around sixteen uh, notches in it. Now they're probably up to thirty two or sixty four. They can tell exactly where the cam and crank is at all times, because of the ring, and they know where top dead center is. They know by that they know where every other cylinder is at in conjunction to that. So your stop start technology, they, instead of using a starter to start it, they'll just stop it that engine and they'll ha- and they'll know what location that and they'll know which spark plug to fire to get that push down. When they get that push down, it starts right back up.
2: And then we talked about uh, the, you're going to have a secondary battery. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be in your trunk. And be about the size of a lawnmower yes. battery, and it's going to be there so that you don't lose your air conditioning. That's right. Which means your air conditioning will no longer run off your motor; it will run off of its basically itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just—I mean, just sitting here and talking about these few things that we are. Mm-hmm. There is a revolution going on in the oh, car yeah. industry.
3: There is. They're, they took some steps on that start-stop. They said, "What are we going to do about the AC?" So they put, like you know. <clears throat> You put these little plastic things in the freezer, and they freeze, and then you put them in your ice chest, and it keeps the inside mm-hmm. of the ice chest cool. They've got some of those, in some cars will start stop technology that, that stays cool and lets air blow across it to keep the air in the car cool for a certain period of time. Now, if you sit there for 20 minutes at a stoplight, you're going to start getting some warm air. Mm-hmm. But if you're just there at a normal stoplight, you're not going to feel any difference in it because the ac unit is actually keeping that cold and that bar is keeping the air cold on you longer it has got some kind of gel in it that stays cold
2: Now, ron fuller was talking about that to uh, what we're going to see and you've mentioned this on the show before that uh inside your car your air conditioner will be separate from the engine than what it used to be mm-hmm. to the point where uh you do the stop and start you'll have your your car will run like your refrigerator, so to speak. it have its own little motor that it runs off of. Yeah. And that's they, why the that battery's there.
3: They have some AC compressors right now that are electric, and, and they actually work, and they're on some hybrids because when the, engine, the gas part's off and the electric part is on and you're sitting there, the AC compressor's still running. It's an electric motor inside the compressor mm-hmm. that runs it and and you you take that and and the, and the engineering and and like i said the computer speeds are so much faster now they it's allowing them to do a whole lot of different things with the combustion engine as well as the the uh, accessories for it to keep the radio playing to keep the air blowing cold the heater blowing warm all these things come into play
2: all right so one other thing that we talked about, and I'd like to hear what you say about it, and that is the car industry has to have people buy cars to keep them in business. Yep. However, Ron said he was out at a dealership and saw a pickup truck at $92,000. Yep. The average guy, I mean, unless you give him a 15-year you know, note on that car, you can't afford it.
3: I, I, I'm I'm kind of thinking the same thing. The average, you, you can go out and you look at a Chevy Suburban or a uh, Ford Excursion, something like that. They hit seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars 90000 And, you know, if you put that on a 10-year note, and, and just think, your you, you know, average person lives to be 70, 80 years old, right? That's right. A 10-year note, and if you live to be 80, you spent one-eighth of your life paying for that one vehicle.
2: I agree. It's just crazy. And it's like costs a third of what your house costs.
3: Yeah. But it's 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 a rolling computer is what it is, Dave. And I don't think you'll ever see the prices go down on those because they keep making them more high-tech where it's going to eventually end up being an autonomous vehicle. And then I think they'll still sell, but you'll have car sharing where two or three families own the same car.
2: Now, that, that's a that's great to point because ron brought that up too i hate to keep quoting ron but he said that the way people the, the young people today mm-hmm. millennials cetera, that's correct the way they view a car and the way you and i view a car are totally different we we see freedom and all kinds of things wrapped up in our automobile where mm-hmm. they just see it as another computer
3: yeah it's just another means for to get from here to there you know some some i even had a grandson he didn't get his driver's license until he was 20 years old you know when i was 15 i'd already had a motorcycle license when i was 12 or 13 when i could get a car and get my car driver's license i was waiting at the door yeah i was chopping it a bit I, it had freedom, I even man. yeah you could go wherever and do whatever you wanted You know, I asked my grandson about it after he got his license and he got him something to drive. He said, I didn't know what I was missing.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I didn't have to go ask nobody if I want to go down to the Sonic and get me a slushy. you know. Yeah. I just get in
2: my truck and go. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's true. But most
3: kids today, I don't think they feel that kind of need for that kind of of freedom to go wherever they want, whenever they want, without having to have somebody take them. I'm with you. My grandson.
2: He doesn't have... I think he just got his license, and uh, he had the chance to go either to Costa Rica for two weeks or Mm -hmm. get a car. Yeah. He went to Costa Rica. I I knew the answer to that when you you said it. He went to Costa Rica. Yeah. Now, I can tell you if that would have been what had been given me the opportunity when I was 16, I got the car.
3: No kidding. car's going to last for as long as you can make it last. That trip's going to be over with shortly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I could go some zip-line someplace else.
3: That's exactly right. But that's just us. We're different different generations. Yeah,
2: it's kind of interesting how thi- it, things change. We all know things change. But as far as cars go, we're in rapid change right now.
3: Oh, it's yes, it's pedal to the metal, I'm telling
2: you. All right, let's get a break in, then we'll come back. We've got more time with Joe. Uh, Rob is going to be back in the 5 o'clock hour here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, we got a moment here. Let's talk about bumper-to-bumper, and uh, bumper-to-bumper certified service centers, which Joe is one over on Crystal Hills Road. What makes you all different from every other, me- you know, just uh, technician or mechanic?
3: Well, you take the central Arkansas area and the certified service centers. Dave, you know 10 of them.
2: Right. Yeah, and more than
3: that, we've had some come in and go out, but they're still quality shops. They're still on the CSC program, even if they're not doing the car and truck doctor show. But have you met any of those shop owners that you would consider yourself not very high integrity?
2: No, they're, they're all of high integrity. You,
3: you'll not see and And that's what I think separates us. If if we tell you something, you may not like the report we're telling you, but it'll always be the truth. We're not gonna We're not going to cheat or swindle you out of anything just to make a buck because we don't need to do that.
2: No, not at all. And, and so you use bumper-to-bumper parts because you want to help your customers.
3: Well, the best the best quality part at the best price and the best service, all that equates to cheaper price for you, best quality part for you, and a, and, and a very good warranty two years, $24,000. And uh, you, you just can't beat a deal like that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm proud to be one of the CSEs, and I'm proud to be affiliated with them. So.
2: All right. Keep that in mind, bumper-to-bumper. Certified service centers and bumper-to-bumper parts, 24,000 miles or uh, two years, or if you use their uh, credit card, three years, 36 mile, a 36,000-mile yep. guarantee. That's bumper-to-bumper. All right, a break. Back with more. Joe is here from Joe's Garage. All right, back with you. Uh, Joe from Joe's Garage is here. Hey, Russ, I'm going to give away a mystery bucket right now to uh, uh, the third caller here at eight two three zero nine six five. That's eight two three zero nine six five. These mystery buckets usually uh, contain thirty five to fifty dollars worth of bumper to pro- bumper products for you, and uh, you'll go to nine twenty nine West Thirty Third over in the Levy area, North yep. of Little Rock. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll pass on that information here in just a second to to Russ, but be the third caller. And that mystery bucket will be yours. Eight two three zero nine six five. Got a question? This was sent to me uh, instant message. It says I have a. This from Bob. I've got a 2015 F one fifty with a two point seven EcoBoost. My AC has quit, and it looks like the condenser has failed. How common is this? A coworker told me my truck was steaming. I looked it over and the condenser is wet by the lower line connection any advice would be welcome
3: well i'll be honest the uh ford products as far as ac condensers are are not that common now the gm products in their trucks from uh 14 to 18 they had some issues with those This one right here, I would like to look at that because uh, it could have a line that's rubbed on something. I don't know the history of this vehicle. I don't know the mileage of it, Dave. Mm-hmm. But uh, if the condenser is leaking, it's going to require replacement. There is no repair for those condensers. And actually, there's not anybody left in town that can do that, pressure test them and, and you know, okay. do aluminum welding. And a lot of these condensers today... He said it looks oily down there. I would like to look at that because a lot of these A.C. condensers are not just A.C. condensers anymore. They have coolers made in them like for the engine oil or the power steering. So they're a dual-purpose condenser, and that's another part of the evolution, Dave. They said we got A.C. condenser up here in the front of this. What if we put the power steering cooler in there with the A.C. condenser and did two things with one unit? So the oil being there could be something else leaking also. So I'd like to look at that, and Bob can give me a call and set up a time. He can bring it by. I'll check it for him and give him an evaluation, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there.
2: Okay. Well, I'll ask you. You give me the phone number. Mm -hmm. 753-4685. All right. Bob, I just sent that number back to you, call it, and set up an appointment so that they can make sure exactly what is going on with your automobile
3: well if the condenser is leaking free on it's going to be oily but it can leak other stuff to make it oily and it may it may not be that it's it's you know the condenser itself it could be a line there's a rubber line down there to it to his aluminum line
2: you i just know need about to look that yeah <laughs>
3: you've seen that
2: personally didn't you? i've seen that up close and personal yeah yeah russ Oh, bob hendrix won Okay, so he won the mystery bucket, and he got his question answered. Very good. Okay. Congratulations yes. to you, Bob. But I sent you that number. That's for Joe's Garage, and you have it. Call that number and uh, yeah. and set up your time to come yeah. in. On your and way over care, care. pick
3: up that mystery bucket, and just come swing by the shop, and I'll take a look at it for you.
2: And he said thank you. And he's welcome. There you go. All right, so that's, that's taken care of. We've got, uh, of course, news coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll take your calls. Uh, if you got a question about your car, you got a question about your uh, pickup truck, uh, diesels, Joe, do the best that he can do.
3: No, we can do little ones, yeah. It's 18-wheelers <laughs> I ain't good at.
2: <laughs> the big eight. We don't have duck here for the 18-wheelers today. Right. Just, know, just know that that's a, a, a case right now but well, we're, we're less than a minute away from that at this time still a lot of ac people coming in now i mean it's today it, it was hot hot today
3: today i've checked three and put two air compressors on dave one guy he said i'm not going to spend that kind of money i'm going to go trade it off i said "Alrighty then so yep. he went out the door hot and sweaty so
2: <laughs> yeah i'm telling you what it the the humidity is up there, really up to Right now, it feels like it's in the 100-degree, well, over the 100-degree range, about 105. And uh, it's it's really cloudy outside, and it's still 94 degrees outside. So it is one of those typical summer days in Arkansas. Yes, it is. And that's what it is. All right, let's take our break for the news. We'll find out what's going on in the world, and then we'll come back, find out what's going on in cars Give us a call, eight two three zero nine six five. And don't forget, there's still only 89 sit, uh, seats available, and uh, more than half of those are probably gone already. I'm talking about the free tickets to the groundbreaking documentary, The Tax Train is Coming. In the movie, some of our most respected economists and tax experts are going to share the ugly truth about why you could be paying far more taxes in retirement and what you can do to protect yourself right now. The film is only showing one time in Little Rock, and it's happening Thursday. Hosted by David Lucas Financial, tickets are not for sale, but if you've saved more than $500,000 for retirement, your ticket is free. To claim your free ticket, call 501-653-6690 hurry because tickets won't last. And, and, and it's really just right around the corner. Call 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. And David Lucas, uh, that I, I've seen that movie and it's uh, an eye-opener you should take a look at. Joe of Joe's Garage is here today. He's taking your calls at 823-0965 about you know, your car, your pickup or whatever. If you want to send us a a question by email, you can do that. Uh, Just send it to uh, Dave at SalemLR.com. That's Dave at SalemLR.com. And uh, I'll read it on the air to Joe. He'll try to answer it as best he can. But I'll be honest with you. The best way to do this is to call in because Joe always has a question or two for you guys. So, you know call in and have a conversation with him you might have some pertinent information that he needs that you don't send and something that you write to me with
3: yeah it always helps to have a a little bit more information than generally what we get if they text or you know message you or email you or whatever
2: had several people uh email me here just a moment ago and said dave it is raining in Little Rock and North Little Rock. Well, it we is. can look out the window and see it's <laughs> raining right here downtown. We're right off of university and we're watching it pour down. So, uh, do be careful. It's been dry. It's been hot. That means uh, cars have been probably leaking some oil on the roads and yep. things of that nature. And then they get the water on there, and before it can wash it off, it makes it just slick as not out there. So, be careful.
3: That asphalt's hot, and you put cold water on it, and it's going to be slick, Dave.
2: Does that? Yeah. It's just nature of the it beast. Is. It's the nature of the beast. I, I will tell you, and let me just ask you, Joe, to make a statement about this. Now that they've got that road done between Jacksonville and Cabot on 67. Yeah. It's made all the difference in the world coming to and going home from work.
3: Oh, absolutely. Well, it used to be a 30-minute drive from, what is it, four miles? Yeah. Now it's a... Mm, short three-minute drive yeah it
2: can be real short to be honest <laughs>
3: some people go real fast yeah
2: you. yeah that's uh that's the way that it uh that it, it works out anyway uh let's get back and, and talk about what's going on speaking of we're talking about traction tires yeah tires wear out faster in the summertime than any other time i would think Well, true.
3: Heat heat has a lot to do with rubber. The hotter you get, rubber the quicker it deteriorates. You know, tires today you can get tires that have like hundred thousand mile tread wear warning ninety thousand, but those tires are made from rubber compounds that are real real hard. That's what makes them last. But that's you got to you got to take something away to get something, and and what that takes away from the tire that'll go ninety or hundred k. Uh, is that when it's wet outside like it is right now and it's raining those tires aren't going to grip the ground as good you got to give up some grip to have hard rubber right and hard harder the rubber the longer the tire lasts but the softer the rubber the softer the compound the more grip you have in wet and inclement weather but the problem is they don't last as long
2: all right so let me ask this question for the average guy or, or gal out there that's buying tires what what would you say is the best mileage is going to give you grip and give you a little bit of longevity
3: somewhere between 40 and 60k okay you get above that the tire rubber is going to get hard if you were a traveling salesman and you spent most of your time on the freeway Mm -hmm. uh, you also have to understand that there's a double-edged sword on this let's just say you drive your car twelve thousand miles a year okay right in five years how many miles have you drove 60,000 miles. Right. 68. Okay. Uh, well, if the tire's rated for 90,000 miles in four or five years, you haven't achieved that mileage, but the tire's going to have to be replaced anyway because it's it's dried out and dry rotted. So the only way I would say you need a ninety or 100,000 mile tire is if you, if you put 30,000 miles a year on your vehicle, 25,000, 30,000 a year, you could benefit from that, but it has to be highway driving. You wouldn't want it to be in town driving where you would need the grip. You say what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Stop, start.
3: Yeah, that's it. I mean, whether the harder the rubber, the less traction you have, the softer the rubber, the more traction you have, the softer the rubber, the quicker they wear out. All right. Back to that. So you got to give up something to get something. Yeah, so weird. I generally it works I ask my customers, yeah, I said, well, how many miles a year do you drive? And then I try and pick them a tire for that, you know. They do most in-town driving. I'm going to be a guy that stays with, uh, like I said, 40 to 60K. and give you a, a little bit of both, longevity and pretty good grip.
2: All right. We're getting into drive time. A lot of people getting out on the road, uh, checking out the weather right now. We have the storms passing by us, uh, according to my color radar. Uh, Most of these storms should be out of our metropolitan area right around the next six to eight minutes. If you're going to Conway, you're going to run into more rain, Uh, some heavy thunderstorms going on uh, i 40 and if you're heading up 67 167 uh you're going to run into quite a bit of uh rain that way as well.
3: Yeah. That's usually the popcorn, normal track through there. Isn't
2: popcorn it? uh, it's the thunderstorms. This yeah. is cuz of the hot weather that we've had here in in our area. You hey, I don't have to read you guys the, what it's like during the summertime. Right now, I'll let you know that in Little Rock it has uh, were ninety three, but now it feels like it's ninety seven instead of a hundred and seven. Yeah, came down a little bit, getting a little bit of that that uh, moisture out of the air, and they're telling us that uh, we're going to run into uh, these kind of thunderstorms tomorrow into early Friday, and they're saying that there will be a break in the rain in about thirty minutes. So, okay, just trying to help people out a little well. bit. Well.
3: You know the the change
2: your white windshield wipers. You're probably figuring that out right now.
3: Yeah, if you got see if you see streaks, you know you need them.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: (laughs) Now if if you if you bring your car into a CSC, most CSCs do an oil service, Dave, which that includes and and does at Joe's Garage that we will change your oil and filter, but we check your cabin air filter for your AC unit, and we check your engine oil filter to make sure that it's clean, and we check your wiper blades, and of course we do an inspection of the tires and the brakes and and it's the you know it's just a good general check over because all of those things some of them are if you let them go could play into the engine not running right the AC not performing right mm-hmm. not being able to see out the windshield not being able to stop and nobody needs to ride around on bald tires slick tires no, or with you know tires with screws in them or cuts in them or whatever cuz our our roads are horrible today you know
2: yeah that's true i've proven that i've been in joe's garage more than a few times over the last few months with nails in my tires oh, and
3: that's another thing we do at joe's garage that if you buy your tires from me i maintenance them and i fix all your flats for free what i mean by maintenance them we rotate them and keep up with them that way we get the most life out of them and just like dave if you come in and you're you're there and you're using joe's uh, uh for our oil change service and other repairs every other time you come in to get your uh vehicle service and the tires rotated i even checked alignment on them don't i dave
2: yeah and let me tell you what you hadn't seen an alignment machine until you've seen joe's
3: yeah it's it's a, it's one of the new science ones. fiction yeah it's pretty wild it's it good, is it's and good it's machine. very very good yes that's it
2: is it's really good
3: that's a uh john bean from snap on corporation and it is the latest greatest thing out it's a very yeah. good machine
2: it really really works and works fine Eight two three zero nine six five. Listen, if it's really raining hard wherever you're at, uh, both hands on yeah, the wheel. Keep your hands on the wheel. If you got Bluetooth, that's all right. You can you can take care of it that way. But hey, uh, don't be uh, holding the phone to give us a call to ask a question about your car. Eight two three zero nine six five is the number uh, to call. Big uh, word that's up right now is that heat advisory. Goes until. Uh, sometime uh, tomorrow about seven in the evening saying that uh, it's going to be hot it's going to be humid so uh, wear layers of clothing so to speak you know light layers of clothing and and drink plenty of fluids okay we got to get a break in let's do that then we'll take a caller calling in we'll see what he's got about his car that's all coming up here on the Dave Ellswick show Applied Research Center of Arkansas still looking for folks to take part in their current studies program. About 13 or 14 different things that they're uh, testing right now. They could use your help. Uh, you have to find out if you qualify to be able to get into one of these studies. All you have to do is go to ARC Arkansas. That's one word, A, the letter A, the letter R, the letter C, and Arkansas.com. And you'll see the current studies, you'll see the qualifications that you have to meet, you'll see where you can say, hey, I'd like to do this, and then they'll get back to you. Or if you'd rather, you can call and talk to somebody, 501-954-7822. That's 501-954-7822. From low testosterone to kidney stones, the GERD, they got a lot of different studies going on with Applied Research Center of Arkansas. We got time for a couple more questions of Joe. Let's go talk to Chris in North Little Rock. And uh, Chris, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, Chris, how are you? Thank
3: you, sir.
7: Thanks, sir. Doing well. What you got? Uh, I have a, I've got a 07 Camry. And speaking of tires, the, uh, PPS tire pressure sensors driving me crazy. Uh, quick story. Last year, one went out, had to replace it replaced. Sam's worked fine this year. When came back on, on constant on all the time, uh, took it back there. Uh, they said three of them were out. Yeah. Okay. They changed them out, and the light still will not go off. I've done the reset button. I've even unhooked the battery cable. I've, I've, I've got a little code reader up it on there. It says C two one two three ID three not transmitting. Yeah. But I took it. They said they're all good, so. I'm at a loss
3: with it. Well, you need to come over and see me, okay? Because this is the issue. When you when you replace a tire monitor, some of them depending on the brand of tire monitor they put in, it's how you program it. Some of them you have to go in there through the a- ALDL with a scanner and enter the new numbers, okay? There's okay. a lot there's a lot of people that make tire monitors, uh, VDO, uh EZ Easy Sensor, but each one of them has its own tool to learn it to the vehicle so the vehicle knows that it's there but if it doesn't know it's there and it's not registered in the system it's not gonna it's not gonna receive a signal from it now you can walk up to that car and you can ping that sensor and say well that sensor is transmitting it may be and it may be working properly but if it's not calibrated to that vehicle and and that id number learned to that vehicle it's not going to receive a signal Now, the problem with the 07s, the problem with the 07 is age gets to all these sensors. Every tire monitor out there made has a battery in it, and it has a battery life, and it's usually about 8 to 10 years. So if you took it in a couple years ago and they said one was bad, they should have told you you needed four of them because they're all going to age out. Just the batteries will get weak and, and quit transmitting but if you're in okay. North Little Rock and you'll come by and see me, I'll hook my tool up to it and I'll ping those sensors and see what's in there and see if we can learn them. I don't know if I can, but if you bring your receipt with you and I can get the part number off of it, it would make my job a little bit easier. But they're not not—they're not calibrated and learned into your vehicle's reading. you're not getting a signal from them.
7: Okay, I'll sure try and do that. About ballpark, how long do you think that will take? If it is a bad sensor... Or, uh to recalibrate
3: it. We'll recalibrate it, right? It's going to take a scan to it. It shouldn't take over an hour. And if it does have a sensor, I'll put you one in there and learn it, and you'll be good to go. Okay? Okay. So I could
4: drop it off
3: and come back? Yeah, you can drop it off, or you can call Steph at the office in uh, 753-4685, make an appointment. You can drop it off one morning, pick it up that afternoon, I'll call you during the day and tell you what's going on. Okay, sir. I sure appreciate it. All right, man. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you.
2: All right, Chris. Thanks for Thank calling in today here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 823-0965. That's something that people don't realize. Again, every different brand
3: yes, on the tends to
2: work a different way.
3: They all transmit a signal, and you have to go in there, and you have to tell it what, what vehicle it is. And when you program that sensor, that new sensor, you actually have to program it for that year, making model a car. And it has to be the proper sensors transmitting the right megahertz. Now, most of them are 315 or 433 megahertz. It fits about 90% of all the cars. They make universal ones, which will transmit either way. But you have to go in there and program it to that specific car, Dave. And then you have to learn that position. And the Toyotas are some of the hardest ones to get programmed to the vehicle. I can tell you that
2: why why is that
3: It's the process you have to go through because okay. if you want to put a a a sensor in there that's not a Toyota sensor because you know they can be eighty ninety dollars a piece, one hundred and ten dollars a piece correct. You can buy the aftermarkets for anywhere from fifty to sixty dollars a piece. A lot cheaper, you know if you put four in there, the difference between four hundred dollars and and uh two hundred and forty there's a huge difference there
2: yeah one hundred and sixty so, bucks yeah. that's a lot of money
3: so but when you when you do those uh universal ones or the e z or the videos or whatever, you actually have to take a little bit extra time to tell that sensor what car it's going in and train it to know to uh, transmit and teach that vehicle. You go in there with a scanner, and what you do is you set it up for that particular sensor, and you have to enter the ID numbers in it. One digit off, one wrong here, there. It's not going to learn it properly, and it's not going to transmit, or it's not going to receive the signal. could be transmitting, and just ain't picking it up, but it has to be done right for it to work right. They did one, and it worked. They did three more, and it's not working, so there's something, I think, in their their process that they did wrong or they didn't properly do it that's what i think is wrong
2: yeah because the car's not uh, is not identifying them correctly it's not
3: reading it it's like if you were listening to a radio and it's 101.1 if you put on 101.2 you might hear something but it's not going to be a clear signal is it dave
2: no not at all yeah <laughs> I'll tell you that, that, not at all
3: those 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 tire monitors work off radio signals there's actually a radio RC antenna in that vehicle. When those tires are spinning, is transmitting. Uh, that's why you have to calibrate it to that vehicle. Because if you were at a stop sign and a car pulled up real close to you, and his tire monitors were transmitting.
2: You might be picking
3: him. You'd be picking up his tire monitors over there. And say, hey, what am I doing? with Eighty pounds of air in my right front tire. Yeah, because the back tire of a big truck's that in there. So those are specific frequencies, and you got to go in there and tell it this is what you're looking for. This is what it's going to transmit at, and that's what we're looking for.
2: All right, we got about one minute. Let me just ask the, the inevitable question I always ask: If one goes out, might as well change them all. If it's a battery issue and an age issue, yes.
3: absolutely
2: because they're all
3: going to go out it's not a question will they it's just when okay and we run into that pretty regular we'll have one that's bad and i'll tell the customer look you got four of them they're all the same age let's put them four in there and be done with it now i don't want to spend the money put that one in Month later they're back so that light's back on check it yep now the one on the left front's bad the one on the left rear's bad we did the right front <laughs> i identify them and put them on the invoice which one or where they went right and if there's any question about it we can always break the tire down and show you the sensor because it's got id number on it this is what ours looks like this is what the original looked like so all right. you know it's just a matter of, of giving it's like headlights dave low beams are all and high beams are all born in the same day if one headlight beam bulb goes out it's not going to be long before the other one does.
2: I agree. Put two in at once. That's what we do. I, I put in two at once. And I,
3: I don't necessarily think you have to do that on high beams, but you do on the low beams because yeah. they're on all the time, most of the time at night.
2: Yeah. Well, they're my, mine. Are on during the day.
3: <clears throat> and those bulbs are separate.
2: Yeah. They're
3: daytime running light bulbs.
2: No. Okay, that's different. Then. Yes,
3: different. Different part of the bulb.
2: All right. Let's take a, a break for the news. Joe's out of here. We appreciate him coming in today. He'll be back with me on Saturday at 9 o'clock for the Car and Truck Doctors. This is his Saturday to be in. We we'll yes, look sir. forward to seeing you there.
3: All right, Dave. Thank you.
2: All right. You have a great rest of your week. Uh, I'll be back at the 5 o'clock hour. I got a play for you, a former FBI agent that put on his aluminum foil hat to come up with a story about the president. You ain't going to believe it when we play it for you. That's coming up in the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back for the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. We thought that Robert Steinbach would be back with us this hour, but he uh, texted me, said that he was not going to be able to make it. But joining us, as I knew he would, because I asked him earlier to be part of the show here in the last hour, is State Senator Kim Hammer. And uh, Kim, thanks for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show here in the last hour today.
8: Thank Dave, for the opportunity to be on with you.
2: Yeah, basically what I want to talk to you about is the governor yesterday was talking to, I guess, the Sheriff's Association up in northwest uh, Arkansas up in the Rogers area and uh, came out and said that uh, Arkansas is one of only four states without a hate crime law. The others, Georgia, South Carolina, Wyoming, and I do believe Indiana. Uh, So that would be uh, the the four, Uh, although there there is a hate crime. There was hate crime legislation in Indiana, but it doesn't it's not it's not good enough for uh, some of the folks that want to see this legislation passed. What's your feeling about about uh, hate crime legislation? I believe that it's it's just empty words on a piece of paper.
8: You know, when we look at hate crime laws, and actually this has been looked at before by the legislature and in communication with the governor's office, Um, when we've looked at hate crime laws before, one of the reactions that we get is that there's not anything you can't do under the current laws that would be afforded greater under the hate crime laws. And uh, in my opinion, I think that we probably need to focus more on what we already have on the books as far as being able to um, take people to the highest level of prosecution under what's already on the books um, to, to add another layer. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not a bad idea. I'm not saying it's a good idea just based on previous conversations, you know, in past um, we, if we would just do what's on the book, we could take care of a lot of the problems that are already there without adding another layer to it.
2: Okay. I I guess my whole thing is that the governor said, quote, there should be enhanced penalties under the hate crime law for people who commit crimes based on religion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. You shouldn't be targeted because of who people are. Well, my whole thing is is if you beat somebody down or you kill somebody, It doesn't matter what color, race, creed, or whatever you are. That's uh, pretty much got to be a hateful person to want to do that, don't you?
8: I think if you take the example, um, you know, which every time there's a uh, wave of shootings like we're experiencing right now, of course, when you compare it to, uh, I guess the one thing that always kind of gets under my skin a little bit is you look at Chicago and you look at other cities that have gun-free zones and that have high strict gun laws, um, when you factor the percentage in, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing what happened in Texas. I'm not minimizing what happened in Ohio at all. It it was a spike, and both of them were unwarranted and undeserved. But when you look at what's going on in other areas where there are enhanced gun laws and enhanced hate crimes, it doesn't seem to be a deterrent to what's going on in cities, for example, like like Chicago. Um, and as far as the value of a life, I think that life is invaluable regardless of whatever label is attached to it. And if we would focus on doing what we're able to do now and quit minimizing the uh, ability for prosecutors to plea bargain down, I think that, that that would be a better step in that direction as opposed to just adding another layer.
2: Okay. How are things uh, going for you? I mean, you've got some things in interim uh, committee and, uh, you know, we're not that far now away again from uh, the legislature coming together and supposed to be talking about uh, only economic issues uh, mostly. And I mean, the governor has already said that he'd like to take up maybe this hate crime and red flag laws or whatever during that time, which is... You know that seems to be more general assembly kind of stuff for a full general assembly. Would you agree?
8: I would say that here we are in August. Uh, we're not we're not going to get back into the swing of things because of the summer conferences and everything till uh, we'll, we'll start kind of picking back up the latter part of this month. Well, that leaves September and October, and then you're into the full blown budget hearings. You know, starting for the fiscal session in January. Um, for it to be fully vetted so that we just don't respond uh, to a situation hastily with something that's not fully vetted by all 135 members of the legislature. Um, I, I think I think I would rather make sure that it is right instead of just get something on the books for the sake of getting something on the books.
2: All right. Last question for you, and then I'll let you go. I know you've been busy all day. Federal prosecutor mm-hmm. asked the judge, uh, on Tuesday, to deny former State Senator Jake Files' request to be released immediately from prison to home confinement, saying that Files is scheduled to be transferred to a Little Rock halfway house on or about to September 30th. The former lawmaker, who has served one year of an 18-month sentence on fraud and money laundering charges, noted in a handwritten petition to U.S. District Judge P.K. Holmes, That was filed Friday in Fort Smith that his official release date is January 31st, 2020. Files asked Holmes to recalculate his sentence under a new federal law, the uh, First Step Act of 2018, based on his clean record and model work in prison. He's now at a federal prison in El Reno, Oklahoma. Files is scheduled to be released to the City of Faith Halfway House in central Little Rock which operates work release programs for federal inmates. seems to me Mr. File should serve every bit of his sentence when you consider the public trust that he broke and being an elected official, uh, what he did.
8: As an elected official who has the public trust, I'll speak from that position. Um, I think violating public trust is the highest form of... Uh, betrayal that a person can can commit. Um, in my opinion, I think that in situations such as this, where we should be held to the higher standard of the law, if you're going to be held to the higher standard of the law, then you need to be held to the higher level of punishment that goes with it, because otherwise you don't have a deterrent from from committing those crimes in the first place. And you know, that's that's one thing we've got to continue to work on as the legislative branch, I think, is that we've got to continue to raise the bar the ethics and the accountability when we violate public trust, because otherwise uh, we just erode public trust, and uh, that, that doesn't need to be the image that is projected as far as the legislative branch that you can commit a crime like that, and then you would, you would be let off lesser. In fact, I would apply that to a lot of things. I think that's part of the problem is, uh, people are able to plea down too much uh, I'm all about rehabilitation, but I'm also about accountability for your actions
2: and then the accountability and we've talked about this uh, before and that is uh need to have sharper teeth in a lot of those laws
8: well you know the reason people are afraid of you out in the woods at night when they know there's a bear out there is because it's got sharp teeth and it'll you so it's a good uh it's a good fear factor to keep you you know in the light uh, so that you uh, you know, so that you don't do what you're not supposed to do out there in the dark. All
2: right, State Senator Kim Hammer. Thanks. I I only wanted you for a few moments. I want to talk to you about what the governor had said, and I appreciate your time here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great hey, evening. I, yeah.
8: Can I get one more thing in on you? Oh yeah. And you, I haven't heard you talk about this, but I think your listeners need to know. Do you have something special happening next week?
2: Do I have something special? Well, yeah. What
8: do you like? Aren't you like 50 years in the broadcasting yes, sir.
2: business? Yes, sir.
8: Well, you're to be commended, and uh, I, I hope your listeners understand the value of the of the 50 years of dedicated service that you've had in the broadcasting bris- business and in excellence, too, for that matter. And uh, So I want to say an early congratulations to you for that.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Kim. Thanks so much, and I hope to have you back in the studio with me. What's coming up on Saturday, quickly? Uh, do you have your, do you have things set up for that?
8: Yes, I do. And your audience and our audience probably wants to tune in because Saturday I've got Melissa Foltz, who's filed the bills ah, to, uh, marijuana. recreational marijuana. And I've got Jerry Cox coming in. So we'll have Jerry Cox and Melissa <laughs> Foltz in the studio Saturday live. So it'll be worth listening, tuning in and, you know, getting on Facebook and watching, uh, watching live Saturday. That's what the, the whole show is going to be dedicated to is, um, the discussion about recreational marijuana being legalized in the state
2: you're just out there stirring the pot up brother
8: hey you know you just want people to hear both sides and everybody be in a position to give accountability for their position
2: all right we appreciate you kim you have a great one it sounds like a great saturday show at noon right here at 101.1 fm the answer have a great evening and i'll let you go state senator kim hammer we'll be back with more in a moment. Back with you. Don't forget about PI Roofing Home Solutions. You got a problem with your uh, your roof, they can fix it for you right now. If you're sitting at home and you know that you got a leak, a leak gets through the shingles, then through the felt, then through the wood, then through your insulation, then through your drywall. It's doing a lot of damage. You need to get it fixed. Best way to get it fixed is to get a hold of PI Roofing. Best way to get a hold of PI Roofing, just go to piroofing.com. All the information you need is right there. On top of it, all that damage that it did to get inside your house needs to be fixed. Folks at PI Roofing will do that for you as well. And all you got to do is go to piroofing.com for that. On top of it, they'll clean out your gutters. If you want that done, they will also take care of your gutters. You got a brand new gutter Uh, that they're installing that looks like crown molding. You just talk to the folks at PI Roofing. They do it all, and they do it well, and they're professionals, and they'll take care of you. That's piroofing.com. All right, Russ, do we got time to play that segment? We do. All right. I wanted to play this real quickly for you before we get to the bottom of the hour. Put on your aluminum uh, uh, helmet right now. And uh, listening to this guest that was with uh, uh, Williams last night on MSNBC and talking about the president and flags at half mass.
1: Five days ago, Frank Figluzzi, the former FBI Assistant Director for Counterintelligence, wrote the following in an op-ed in the New York Times, and we quote, Instinct and experience tell me we're headed for trouble in the form of white hate violence stoked by a racially divisive president. He has chosen a re-election strategy based on appealing to the kinds of hatred, fear, and ignorance that can lead to violence. Violence, And once again tonight, we have Frank Figluzzi back on our broadcast. Frank, what were the signs and how do we know how to navigate this tomorrow and the next day? This is this starts becoming the definition of terrorism when people develop anxiety about what should be free flowing public places.
9: Exactly right. The definition of terrorism is conduct designed to coerce or intimidate the civilian population. And if we don't take action quickly, then that will continue to to play out. I have a piece out just tonight in the New York Times on what sadly is going to happen next if we don't disrupt the chain of radicalization. What were the warning signs for me, Brian? Ironically, they weren't from my experience in domestic terrorism, but rather they were from my experience in international terrorism. And, radicalization to Islamic jihad. Um, you see the same things happening now in white hate uh, groups and white supremacy groups um, where not only is the internet facilitating the speed of radicalization but but our leader, our our chief executive is seen as almost a mentor and a radicalizer and unfortunately today we did not hear what we needed to hear from that person that these extremists and unstable people looked too. He spoke in the in the uh, passive voice, in the collective voice. We didn't hear first person from him. We didn't hear, I condemn white hate ideology. We heard, the nation must condemn it. Well, the nation does condemn it, but we didn't hear what we needed to hear. So what happens is the extremists interpret what the president read off a script today as something he needed to say, something he, he didn't really want to say. So the president's either getting really good advice and rejecting it, or he's getting really bad advice. And and I'll give you an example of that. We have to understand the adversary and the threat we're dealing with. And if we don't understand how they think, we'll never understand how to counter them. So it's little things and language and messaging that matters. The president said that we will fly our flags at half-mast until August 8th. That's 8-8-8. Eight, eight. Now, I'm not gonna imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers eight, eight are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers eight, eight together stand for Heil Hitler. So we're gonna be raising the flag back up Uh, at dusk on 8-8, no one's thinking about this, no one's one's giving him the advice or he's rejecting the advice. So understand your adversary to counter the adversary.
1: I know you're keeping your options open there, Frank, but as chilling as that is to hear, you're saying it is possible that someone who knows better is authoring or editing the words that show up and are read verbatim or are supposed to be read verbatim by the president.
9: I'm concerned about who is writing his script and his speeches, and what would fascinate me is what he's rejecting. So it's possible that several iterations of this speech were given to him, someone with expertise. And believe me, the expertise exists in our intelligence community and our law enforcement community and our civilian population on how to counter radicalization. So those folks could have advised him on writing an excellent speech that would have created an obstacle on this path to violence that we're on, but he either chose to not take that advice on. or he's not even willing to solicit the advice.
2: man, I got my my aluminum helmet on. I got the aluminum foil out I put it on. I want, we have we have gone so so deep off the rails in this nation when you have a former uh, high official of the FBI coming out and talking this incredulous ignorance. I mean, does this guy really, really believe that? I mean, what he said, you got to understand, you got to know this stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, I had no clue. I had no clue. 8-8, eighth letter of the alphabet, H-H, Heil Hitler. I bet you go out and get to, to go pick up, Fifty white supremacists—they don't even know it. I don't because they don't know the alphabet. Half of them. I'm just saying. <sighs> then we have it? We have enough problems. We have enough problems in listening to, listen to somebody. And then he's saying, "If the president, yeah, I'm not saying the president is doing this on purpose, but somebody's writing his stuff for him." And I want to know what he's uh, what he's not accepting and what they're going to which means, you know, the he's a Manchurian candidate now, I guess. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. I listened to that, and uh, I heard that today, and I said, you have got, I just know there's people who believe that. Look, everybody knows how I feel about, what, what's a guy's name that has Prison Planet and all that stuff? Alex Jones. A lot of people know what I think about Alex Jones. He's that guy's the biggest DA I know of. Okay. I, I've met him before. I know what he stands for. This guy is a bigger DA than, than Alex Jones's. We'll take a break. News is next. Hey, don't forget about uh, sunny's auto salvage. You want to save some money? You got some problems with your car. You, maybe the engine's gone bad. Transmission's gone bad. Those are not cheap things to get fixed. Normally, uh, I can tell you the easiest way to get them fixed is to put another engine into your car or another transmission into your car and get it from uh, Sunny's Auto Salvage. Use it uh, from a total loss vehicle. Now, when a car is in a wreck and uh, it's a total loss to the insurance company, it does not mean that the engine doesn't work, transmission doesn't work, or a whole lot of other parts on the car don't work. It just means it can't be dr- uh, driven anymore or to get it where it's in good shape again, it's just going to cost too much, uh, and uh, to fix it, and the insurance company doesn't want to do that, and so they, you know, give it a total lost vehicle uh, kind of designation. So what I've done is I called up uh, R D over at Sunny's Auto Salvage and said, "Hey, my engine had gone bad, and I said I, I want to get another engine." He said, "I can make that happen." Well, I got that engine about, uh, oh, I saved about 65% over doing a rebuild. And I had his folks do all the labor for me, uh, which saved me uh, money as well. And uh, lo and behold, I had to put an engine in and a transmission. And I did it for a little over five grand, which would have been a whole lot more if I had done it. With a uh, rebuilt or a new engine, or God forbid, I went out and bought a new car, and then took five to seven years of car payments. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't relish car payments ever again. So I'm I'm going to stay off of car payments. I'm going to use uh, Sunnies as often as I can. And you say, yeah, but what happens if something goes wrong? Well, every part is guaranteed and comes with the standard warranty. One, two or three years. Here's what I suggest. You call RD over at Sonny's Auto Salvage and find out why he's the number one choice for recycled auto parts. I always said I'd go green when it saved me green. This is the way it saves me green. 982-7451 is the number to call. 982-7451. That's Sonny's Auto Salvage. I want just bring that up to you, keep you in mind about it. All right, I talked to Stephen Meeks today uh, because a story in the uh, paper, as you know, Stephen comes on, state to represent Meeks, comes on uh, time to time uh, to talk about uh, getting Arkansas up to snuff because we're last in the nation as far as broadband goes because we have such a rural community. And uh, he's talked uh, a lot excessively uh, uh, for us. About broadband, he's the go-to guy at the state legislature about uh, broadband. And yesterday in Rogers, uh, the governor announced that it will cost $25 million to get high-speed broadband service to all the rural communities in the state by 2022. Hutchinson made the announcement to, at the Arkansas Sheriff's Association summer conference, and Hutchinson called the decision, quote, a historic state commitment. Uh, of the $25 million plan, the Arkansas Legislative Council is able to approve $5.7 million this year, and the balance will need to be appropriated in next year's fiscal session, according to a news release from the governor's office. The governor announced the state broadband plan in May. In July, he established the Arkansas State Broadband Office. Arkansas ranks last among states in access to wired broadband. According to the website broadbandnow.com, while 92% of Americans as a whole have access to wired broadband, only about 75% of Arkansas has similar access. I talked to uh, Stephen. He's on vacation. He's up in uh, uh, Nashville. Look for him to come and join us um, perhaps as early as next week uh, to talk about this and uh, what, uh, what this is going to mean for the state. Uh, there's a lot, I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of heavy lifting uh, for the rural areas of Arkansas going through, you know, the the Ozarks and, and, and all the rest to to make it uh, to make it work. So uh, we'll look forward to having him on where he can talk further about this with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So uh, think about uh, all that uh, and see what uh, what he has to say about it because he'll he'll give us he'll cross the T's and dot the I's for us. As a guy, I don't, I don't know anybody that knows all about this as much as he does. All right, Matt Walsh uh, today, uh, who writes for the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's, uh, uh, you know, twenty four hour, 365 website, uh, had a op-ed, so to speak, today, and uh, here's what he had to say about the shootings, and I think he's got a lot to say about it, and something that uh, we can learn from says the least shocking revelation about the El Paso mass shooting is that the culprit's parents divorced eight years ago. He's yet another mass shooter among that many who did not live full time with his dad, a trend that appears to be especially strong among school shooters. If you expand the mass shooter category to include drug and gang related violence in the inner city, The fatherless connection becomes even clearer. In Baltimore, where violence is infamously rampant, fewer than 20% of all teens are being raised by married parents. I got in trouble with Media Matters yesterday for making this point, but it bears repeating. Do something seems to be the universal refrain this week, and we've talked about this. When something terrible happens, like El Paso like Gilroy, like Dayton, the, the initial response is we got to do something and we got to do it right now. Well, maybe that's not the answer. Now, a lot of times, as people who have lived their lives will tell you, uh, the worst time to do something fast and furious is right after something emotional has occurred. Uh, Do something is that uh, phrase that we're hearing. Well, here's something that we can do. It doesn't involve laws or policies or any other form of input from bureaucrats in Washington or politics, you know, or politicians. Uh, Politicians are looking to turn out voters. So, you know, a lot of the things that they want to do is so that they can get in front of a camera and say, see, I'm doing something. Vote for me. Uh, We can address the problem ourselves in a very straightforward way by raising our own kids. The plan will not be enough to prevent every potential act of brutality or terrorism, but it will have a much wider and deeper impact than any piece of legislation ever could. The negative consequences of fatherlessness are well established. The solution on an individual level doesn't get much simpler. Stay married. Be present, raise your kids, and love them. Would the El Paso shooter have still committed his terrible act, even if his parents stayed together? What about the Sandy Hook or Christchurch shooter? What about any of the hundreds of killers and gangbangers in the inner city? Would they all have ended up on a different and better path had they been raised in a home with a present and active father? We can't say for sure, but the chances seem pretty good. If I could go back in time and make only one change in the lives of any of these people in the hopes that it might prevent them from becoming mass murderers in the future, this is certainly the change that I would make. Can you think of a better one? It's not hard to see why this connection between violent young men and fatherlessness exists. A boy who grows up without a dad will inevitably experience profound feelings of abandonment and confusion. Over time, those feelings can calcify into a deep, simmering anger that the boy doesn't quite understand. The problem is compounded because fathers are precisely the ones best suited to teach their sons how to channel anger and aggression in a constructive way. A boy without a father in the home will have more anger, more aggression, and less of an idea about what he's supposed to do with it. A father teaches his son how to take healthy risks, A father teaches his son how to fight back and stand up to bullies. A father teaches his son how to respect women, protect those who are weaker. Mothers can pass along these same life lessons, but something gets lost in translation. A mother can tell a boy how to be a man, but only a father can show a boy how to be a man. Spoken commands are always less effective than demonstrations. None of this should be considered an excuse for mass murderers. They're responsible for their actions, regardless of these disadvantages. But it's better if our kids don't have the disadvantages to begin with. And that's where parents, especially fathers, come in. We should focus on this step before we worry about passing new laws. And I go along with that myself. All right break for you then we got to finish up today's edition of the Dave Ellswick show quarter till six here on one oh one one FM the answer